As many of you know, Ellie and I grew up in Los Angeles. As a young person, I spent many nights with friends in Hollywood, at shows, coffee shops, cafes, and bookstores. I'd been taught to be wary of strangers and told to be careful and cautious in everything that I did when I was there. I never went anywhere alone. I'd been told horror stories of young people, naive to the ugliness of the world, or perhaps too arrogant to believe that something horrible could happen to them. There's a sense in Los Angeles, Hollywood in particular, that you have to prove yourself. A constant pressure sits between the dark city streets and the layer of toxic smog that exerts a sense of inadequacy. You've got to be everything, always. Smart, strong, stunning, cunning, talented, enduring, charismatic, engaging, interesting, dynamic, adaptable, and somehow transcend the constant motion of trends and change to be a true legend. While the young women today have new and different challenges en route to fame, the pressures of social media, unrealistic beauty standards, the fear of human trafficking, and date rape drugs, many of these dangers, too, have transcended time. The unsettling realities of Hollywood are embodied in a deeply gritty underbelly of Los Angeles, one filled with lies, corruption, abuse, and an undeniable sadness, one that is embodied in the case of Elizabeth Short. There are few things as unsettling as an unsolved murder. No matter how much time passes, there's a looming emptiness, the knowledge that evil could, at any time, be among us. Walking beside us on crowded streets, in the car that passes us in traffic, or in line at the grocery store. I've said this before, the lack of certainty leaves room for the limitless possibilities, some darker, more morbid, or twisted than others, An unsolved case is permission for our minds to wander to the darkest corners and the worst scenarios. I'm Nikki, and welcome to Tales of Two Cities. Hello? Welcome. This is the Two Cities. Oh, I'm so excited. She's discovered nude, imposed, uh, cut in half, mutilated. It was pretty gruesome. I just can't imagine someone doing that to another human being. In the early morning of January 15, 1947, 22-year-old Elizabeth Short was left in an empty lot in Los Angeles on Norton Avenue between Coliseum Street and West 39th. By 10 a.m., Betty Basinger was walking her three-year-old daughter. She saw what she assumed to be a broken store mannequin. Pale and detached to the waist, she looked closer and discovered it was in fact a corpse. She ran to call the police. Elizabeth was mutilated. She had been severed at the waist. Her body was drained entirely of blood. She was stark white. Her mouth had been widened, slashed from ear to the corner of her lips in a Glasgow smile. She had cuts on her thighs and breasts. Areas of flesh had been sliced off entirely. The upper and lower parts of her body were positioned away from one another. In severing the body, the incisions were clean and the body was washed. In staging the corpse, the intestines were tucked behind her buttocks. Her arms were placed above her head, elbows bent at right angles, 
and her legs spread apart. The condition of the body was at the time they believed that someone was someone who had uh, some medical or uh, surgical experience. From what I've seen, I believe it was probably some type of surgical instrument that made the, uh, the cut. The medical examiner determined that she had been dead for around 10 hours prior to being discovered. Reporters, passersby, and police swarmed the scene. The now infamous photos were taken at the heels of the body. Detectives found a cement sack that had bloody water on it, as well as a heel print. The media was almost immediately obsessed with the case. Who was this young woman? What had happened to her? And for many young women, the biggest question was, why? We all had had, all the families had had a hard time during the Depression. And I think we saw Betty as someone who could escape the poverty, who would go somewhere. Elizabeth Short was born on July 29, 1924, in Hyde Park near Boston, Massachusetts. She was the third daughter of five. Her father, Cleo, and mother, Phoebe, took their family to Portland, Maine in 1927, but quickly returned to the Boston area, settling in Medford, Massachusetts. Despite that brief time in Maine, Elizabeth spent most of her life and her formative years in and around Medford. Cleo, Elizabeth's father, built miniature golf courses until the 1929 stock market crash when he lost most of his savings and the family, like much of the country, faced poverty. In 1930, Cleo's car was found at the Charlestown Bridge, and it was assumed he had committed suicide by jumping into the river. Phoebe moved her five daughters into a small apartment in Medford and worked as a bookkeeper to keep the roof over their heads. She at times had to work multiple jobs to care for them, and they had to rely on the public assistant programs that were critical for survival in the Depression era. Elizabeth was an ill child, She had severe asthma attacks and recurring bronchitis. She underwent surgery on her lung when she was just 15. The doctors suggested after this surgery that she move to a more mild climate to prevent further respiratory problems. Based on doctor's orders, Phoebe sent her to spend winters in Miami, Florida with family friends. Over the course of the next three years, Elizabeth lived in Florida for the winter months and then spent the rest of the year in Medford with her mother and sisters. By sophomore year, Elizabeth dropped out of Medford High School. Elizabeth was known for her beauty and her maturity. One Medford neighbor, Dorothy Hernan, explained, quote, Betty was good, sweet, funny, not stuck up, always stopped and chatted, made you feel at ease, and what a walk. The truck drivers and men would stare when she walked down the street. It was a wonder there weren't more truck accidents when she walked down Salem Street. She just looked so graceful, but eye-catching, something to look at. The neighbors all thought that she was someone who would go places. In late 1942, Phoebe received a letter from Cleo, apologizing for disappearing and sharing that he was alive and well in California, where he had started a new life. He apologized to Phoebe and wanted desperately to come home to her but she refused to see him again. Elizabeth, now known by Betty or Beth, 
decided to relocate to Viejo, California to live with her father. She hadn't seen him since she was a young girl. At the time, he was working in a naval shipyard on San Francisco Bay. Elizabeth and her father didn't get along well. Elizabeth resented her father's abandonment, and he felt she was spending too much time out of the house. He was concerned for her because she had always been told she looked and acted much older than she was. He feared men would take advantage of her. He scolded her for laziness, poor housekeeping, and her dating habits. Rumors stated that he kicked her out in mid-1943, though it was unclear whether he kicked her out or Elizabeth left. She took a job at Camp Cook near Lompoc, just north of Los Angeles. She was quick to be noticed as she won the Camp Cutie of Camp Cook Beauty Contests, and many of the servicemen began to pay attention to Elizabeth. But she was emotional and desperate for permanent relationship that would be sealed in marriage. Word spread that while she was flirtatious, she was not easy, and men stopped asking her on dates. She was living with friends and briefly lived with an Army Air Force sergeant who was reported to have abused her. She floated between different homes and attempted to make a real and lasting relationship with people, but found herself alone, again. She left Lompoc in 1943 and moved south to Santa Barbara to live with a girlfriend. On September 23, 1943, Elizabeth was arrested for underage drinking at a local bar. She was sent back to Medford to her mother, but instead went back to Florida. While there, she met Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr., a decorated Army Air Force officer. He was training for deployment to the China-Burma-India Theater of Operations for World War II. Elizabeth was enamored with Gordon. She told friends that he had written to propose marriage while he recovered from injuries from a plane crash in India. She accepted the offer, but Gordon died in another plane crash on August 10, 1945, less than a week before Japan's surrender and the end of World War II. Heartbroken and without prospects in Florida, she relocated to Los Angeles in July 1946. While her immediate motivation for going to Los Angeles was to visit Army Air Force Lieutenant Joseph Gordon Fickling, who she had met in Florida, though was now stationed in Long Beach, Elizabeth really moved to Los Angeles because she had big dreams of being an actress. It's a familiar tale. Small town girl hoping to hit it big in Hollywood. She uh, was going to be an, an actress, a movie star. And uh, the last time I saw her, she told me when she made it, she'd send for me. Sweet talk. She lived in Los Angeles for the final six months of her life. She really wanted to escape the ordinary that she had become so tired of. She was drawn to the idea of being on a big screen, being gawked at, loved, admired. She spent time working in theaters and as a waitress. She spent nights in clubs that would help her be discovered. She rented a room behind the famed Florentine Gardens nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard. Many women, aspiring starlets, spent time just trying to be in the right places and to be seen with the right people. Elizabeth wanted desperately to belong. 
She sought love from many men. And after the death of Gordon, she reportedly told people that she was engaged to him still. Friends of her, even just before her death, knew her as his fiance. She had also told others that she had been pregnant with his child, but suffered a miscarriage. Elizabeth longed desperately to be loved, if not by a husband and family, at least by those watching her on the big screen. On January 9th, 1947, just days before her body would be discovered, Elizabeth was returning home to Los Angeles after a brief trip to San Diego with a male friend, rumored to be lover, Robert Red Manley. Red was 25 years old, married, and a salesman. She'd been dating Red, according to her friends, though Red would claim that they were just friends. Red claimed to have dropped Elizabeth off at the Biltmore Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Elizabeth told him she was meeting her sister, who was visiting from Boston that afternoon. Biltmore staff reported Elizabeth used the lobby phone. She was then seen by patrons at the Crown Grill Cocktail Lounge, a half mile from the Biltmore. Elizabeth was not seen again until her body was discovered on January 15th. An autopsy of her body was performed on January 16, 1947. Frederick Newbar, the Los Angeles coroner, conducted the autopsy and stated that Elizabeth was 5 foot 5, weighed 115 pounds, has light blue eyes, short brown hair, and badly decayed teeth. He noted ligature marks on her ankles, wrists, and neck, as well as irregular lacerations with superficial tissue loss on her right breast. Newbar also noted superficial lacerations on her right forearm, left upper arm, and the lower left side of her chest. As mentioned, the body was dissected in two by a technique taught in the 1930s called hemicorporectomy. The lower half had been removed by transecting the lumbar spine between the second and third vertebra, severing the intestines. Newbar notes very little bruising along the incision line, suggesting it had been done after death. She also had a more than four-inch laceration from below her belly button to her pubic region. The lacerations along each side of her face extended from the corners of her lips to just below her ears, three inches on the right side and two and a half inches on the left. Her skull was not fractured, but there was bruising noted on the front and right side of her scalp with a small amount of bleeding consistent with blows to the head. Elizabeth's official cause of death was determined to be hemorrhaging from the lacerations to her face and blows to the head and face. Newbar noted that Elizabeth's anal cavity was dilated, suggesting she may have been raped, though tests from her body indicated no presence of sperm. Following the discovery of her corpse, she was identified quickly as she had been fingerprinted during her 1943 arrest. Immediately following the identification of her body, Elizabeth's mother was contacted. Reporters from William Randolph Hearst's Los Angeles Examiner contacted Phoebe Short in Boston. They told her that her daughter had won a beauty contest. They pried for as much personal information as they could get from Phoebe before revealing that Elizabeth 
had not won a beauty contest, but had been brutally murdered. The newspaper offered to pay her airfare and accommodations if she would come to Los Angeles to help with the police investigation. Though the newspaper kept Phoebe away from the police and other reporters to try to break new aspects of the story, the crowded and competitive world of journalism had exploded with the breaking of the case. Elizabeth soon became known as the Black Dahlia. One story suggests that Elizabeth was nicknamed Black Dahlia from staff and patrons at a Long Beach drugstore mid-1946 as a wordplay based on a film, The Blue Dahlia, that was released the same year. Others suggested that the name was because Elizabeth had adorned her hair with the flowers, though the FBI official website states that she received the nickname for her rumored love of sheer black clothing. The district attorney investigators later stated that the name was invented by newspaper reporters in an effort to sell more papers. The case was highly sensationalized. It's a prime example of yellow journalism as the headlines spewed new tales of the Black Dahlia case. Elizabeth was described as an, quote, adventurous who, quote, prowled Hollywood Boulevard. The papers described her as having worn a black tailored suit with a, quote, tight skirt and sheer blouse. These types of reports, along with others, deemed the murder a, quote, sex fiend slaying. Elizabeth has been portrayed by true crime books and other publications as a call girl or prostitute during her time in Los Angeles. The grand jury proved that there was absolutely no evidence that she had ever been a prostitute or a call girl. And in total opposition to that speculation was the rumor that Elizabeth was unable to have sexual intercourse because of congenital defect. The Los Angeles County District Attorney files state that investigators had questioned three men with whom Elizabeth had had sexual intercourse. Her autopsy noted that while she had a, quote, small uterus, there were no other signs that suggested that her reproductive organs were anything but anatomically normal. The autopsy also revealed that Elizabeth was not, nor had she ever been, pregnant. Many claimed her prior to and following her death that she was. It was suggested as a motivation for the killing. Decades before Zodiac and BTK, there was the Black Dahlia Avenger, probably the first murderer to live out his fantasy through the media and taunt police in the process. In total, at least 13 separate mailings to the police and press claiming to be from the hand of the Black Dahlia's killer. All were checked out. None ever led to a suspect was a major manhunt and investigation had all sorts of uh, detectives knocking on doors, interviewing people, following every lead. They turned over every lead. They, they didn't leave anything uh, untouched. The scandalous and sensationalized news coverage brought notoriety to the case. There have been more than 500 confessions to the crime, and the police in the initial investigation had received 60 confessions, mostly from men. Some people have confessed to the crime who weren't even alive at the time of her death. One big clue was a sedan that had been parked near the vacant lot where Elizabeth's body was later discovered in the early morning of January 15th. A neighbor had stopped to toss a bag of lawn clippings, 
and noticed that the driver of the sedan was standing in the lot. As he approached, the man began walking towards his car and peered into the window before walking to the sedan and driving away. Suspects have ranged from former partners such as Red to the Times publisher Norman Chandler to Dr. George Hodel, though no suspect has ever been charged. The Back Dahlia case remains a mystery, one that despite 70 years of investigation and public curiosity remains unsolved. Elizabeth Short has become infamous as the Black Dahlia, the woman cut in two and left in Los Angeles to be found but remain a mystery. Betty wanted to be loved and admired. She sought love from servicemen, perhaps filling a void of her absent and abusive father. And she was again alone. She turned naively to Hollywood, where the heartless and vile are rewarded for their crimes while the dark core of superficiality and greed eats at the souls of the wide-eyed, optimistic deers who wanted only to be a star. This tale, unlike Hollywood classics, is written in reverse. We already know what happened to Betty, but we need to find out is who, how, and most importantly, why did someone slash her face from ear to ear? cut her in half, and lock her forever in the perpetuating mystery, the unsolved murder of the Black Dahlia. Thanks for listening. We appreciate each of you and love hearing from you. So hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or email us at Tales of Two Cities Podcast at gmail.com. That's Tales of the Number Two Cities Podcast at gmail.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe on the listening platform of your choice. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Spotify. We're a bi weekly podcast, but if you just can't wait for the next episode, head over to Patreon and pledge for mini episodes and bonus content. And never forget, we have merch. Head to T Public and check out some of our badass merch. There's usually a sale. Tune in next week as Ellie follows up with more on the Black Dahlia. She'll walk you through the suspects, hypotheses, and other conspiracy theories. So stay tuned for part two of our second anniversary episodes on the Black Dahlia. And again, we appreciate each of you. Thanks for listening. Until next time.